morning, everybody, and welcome to the Saturday morning live group of Alcoholics Anonymous. My name is Sandy Beach, and I'm an alcoholic. How you all doing this morning? Great to see everybody here. We're having a little discussion trying to figure out what that bright object in the sky is, and I haven't seen it in so long. Somebody says the sun. Anyway, we'd like to welcome you here. If you haven't been to uh, this meeting before, uh, why we certainly want to extend a, a welcome here and hope that you get something out of it and find it useful. And if you're new to AA, you're just arriving in this fellowship. Why, everybody here knows exactly how you feel. We all went through that arriving in AA feeling like, I don't really belong here. There's been a mistake. I think this, I better get out of here before they brainwash me and I don't feel comfortable with this and I can tell ahead of time it's not going to work. And, all of those uncomfortable feelings and all we can tell you is to just ignore all that and stick around because there's a lot of wonderful things in store for you here and there's a lot of horrible things in store for you back out with alcohol so please go against your better judgment and stick around and see what happens you still are the judge of what happens so just wait and put your arms back and take a look and wait a couple months and see if your life hasn't really improved and we just want you to stick around. Uh, it's customary to start our meetings with our preamble. Alcoholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength, and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover from alcoholism. The only requirement for membership is the desire to stop drinking. There are no dues or fees for AA membership. We're self-supporting for our own contributions. AA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution. Does not wish to engage in any controversy. Neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sober and help other alcoholics to achieve sobriety. And you'll hear that read at just about every meeting that you go to, and it really is good because it serves as a constant reminder of exactly what we're doing here this morning and about 250 other meetings today in the Washington, D.C. area. So every day there's a lot of meetings, no matter where you live or work uh, or hang out, as the case may be, um, there's a meeting nearby. Um, we got a lot of stuff this morning, so I'm gonna jump over to the announcements. One, we ask your cooperation. Well, if you haven't been here before, we always explain a few things that this is a little different from most of our meetings and that it's conducted in a classroom-type setting, but we do have three or four of these in the Washington, D.C. area where we go through the 12 steps of AA. And uh, they were started, I don't know, 25 years ago or so to have a place where you could go and know ahead of time that you're going to hear about our 12 steps and not have to be sitting there worrying about what you're going to say when it's your turn to come around and uh, it, it works out pretty good. I think all the other groups go through the steps three at a time and get through, they just cycle every month. But over here, we go through them one at a time. We're on step 10 this morning. Next week we won't have a meeting and then we'll be on step 11 in two weeks. And our format is to go through the 12 steps and then have the traditions and then a couple weeks on the history of AA. But this time, for one time only, see how it goes, at the end of the traditions, Next week, we're going to have a question basket in the back. And if you want to ask a question, any question you've always wanted to ask about AA, put your name in the basket and we'll draw it out. And you can ask that question during that hour and we'll see if that's 
worthwhile or not. We'll try it one time. Um, so let me make a few comments about the steps in general, if you, because there's always new people here in the program. The steps are what AA is. I mean, that's why we focus on these 12 steps, because this is the AA program, and that is what AA members do in order to get sober and happy. And you have to do both. I mean, that's what the steps are for, is to enable you to get sober and happy. And if you don't do that, you're not doing the program right. Because if you think about it, it's impossible to stay sober and miserable for any extended period of time. That's what you do without AA. You just try and not drink. You grit your teeth, and you walk around not drinking. You can see your neck muscles popping, and you are technically sober, but you are a time bomb waiting to go off. We've all tried this. I'm not drinking, and it's this huge sacrifice. So the steps are designed so that we are sober and happy with being sober. That's the miracle. That is something that you cannot give to yourself. We take these actions called the 12 steps, and then we receive this gift of sobriety. And what that gift is is freedom from thinking about drinking. You can actually have a Saturday night, and everybody else is going to be getting Pilato and all that, and it doesn't even occur to you that you're sacrificing. You just go about your business totally free from having to think about alcohol. That's what sobriety is. That's what the 12 steps are designed to do. And they will do it. They will do it for anybody who will try them. This is the great gift of uh, Alcoholics Anonymous. So that's what our 12 steps are. That's the whole AA program. Now we have meetings and sponsors and cruises and conventions and all these wonderful things, but all of them are designed to keep reminding us as individuals to work the steps and to incorporate that into our lives. That's what sponsors are for, is to push you down the 12 steps. Because you're not going to go there by instinct. Your instincts are going to tell you, I don't need the 12 steps. I can do them later. I mean, believe me, your brain will not lead you down the 12 steps. So you need a sponsor, a home group, the whole AA atmosphere, and we need to remind each other constantly that this is the solution, and we constantly have to go back to it. Because it's real easy to go back and let your mind take over and start figuring out your own problems again. And that's how you got here, was on your own, figuring out your problems and what, the, what you ought to do with your life. So this is a radical change in what we've been accustomed to when we arrive here. And the reason it's such a dramatic change is this is a spiritual solution. And we've been used to intellectual solutions. We've been used to problem solving. So when we come up against these steps and read them, our brain is not going to relate to them too much. I remember reading them the first time. I looked at the 12 steps and I said, this looks very good. I, I was sort of, you know, conceding that this was well written and these were certainly noble objectives. But they didn't have anything to do with my problems today as I saw them, especially, and I say this week after week, there was no step in there where you got $2,000 loans. And uh, it seemed to me that that was my top priority and the rest of this stuff could wait. And, um, and so I believe that Clancy captured, uh, my buddy on the West Coast, what the steps are. There are a series of actions that we take that we don't believe in. 
And that's really what happens. We end up taking these things, even though we don't believe in them, and then afterwards, when the results start coming, then we believe in them. So there's this, this process of a leap of faith, but it isn't really that big a leap because of the fact that we have all these AA meetings. A lot of them are speaker meetings. And it's a huge show-and-tell operation. And one person after another gets up there, and pretty soon somebody just like you gets up there, and they go, if you want to get where I am, that's how you get there, is through these 12 steps. So you get to look at the results of the 12 steps before you take them. You've got all these AA role models wandering around with various amounts of sobriety and serenity and all of that, and you get to see what it looks like to try these steps, so it isn't that big a leap of faith, but I say this ahead of time to all of you that are new, they won't look like they're going to work, so don't worry about that. Just follow them. You don't need to study and, and analyze whether they're going to work. Just do them, and that's sort of what our program is. So the 12 steps are what I like to call a game plan for living, and the biggest thing that happens when you do the 12 steps is you stop doing your plan, which has been taking you down the tube. But we hang on to that plan because we thought it up. That's why we hang on to a plan that takes us to your puking every morning, you're full of resentment, you're full of fear. Someone says, why don't you let go of the way you're living? Oh, no, this is my plan. I thought this up. And it's like, I, it's this great stupidity with hanging on to something that is working terribly. The worst results in the world. It may sound good. A lot of us, when we arrived here, sounded wonderful. When you talk to us, you know, alcoholic can BS as well as anyone in the world. And it's just like, hey, wow, wow, wow. Next thing, people are following them. You know what I mean? Even though they puke every three feet. You know, it's like, well, why don't we look at the results instead of the theory? And so each one of our lives and our intellect, we, we sounded wonderful, but we were the worst walking advertisement for our philosophy of life that you could imagine. So you'd have to hide us if you wanted to sell a book that we wrote so that no one could see how bad off we were. And I think what happens in AA, we stop talking about theory and we start talking results. And we compare you with people who've been in the program a while. And we start out and we go, I understand you went to Harvard. I understand you have a PhD. But you puke every day. And you're wearing a wristband. And your family doesn't talk to you. And you're afraid all the time. I don't want to hear your plan. I don't want to hear anything about it. Our suggestion to you is you abandon that plan immediately and try this one. Because here's the results of this plan. And that's what AA is. Look at all these results. So that's one of the greatest things that happens is we are willing to let go of this other plan and as soon as we do it stops taking us under but that thing is just going to take you down that's where it's been going it has gotten terrible results so if you wonder if you're new you come in here and you keep losing arguments and you've been used to winning arguments you know what i mean you've been a real good debater the problem in here is uh aa members will only talk about results so they'll listen all along. Well, that's very interesting. That's very interesting. That's very interesting. But I don't think I'll listen to a guy wearing a wristband. You know what I mean? And we just and we just throw the results of your life back, and that's the proper thing to do. Um, 
when we talk about a spiritual plan, let me make one more comment about this. In a spiritual plan, there's one major difference from the one you've been, your intellectual approach to life, where you go out and solve problems, whatever the problem is. You're going to find in AA, we talk a lot about various problems, anger, resentment, all these various things that come in our lives. And when you arrived here, if you're like the rest of us, what you did when you confronted a problem was you figured it out until you could analyze it and find a solution to that problem. And you're going to find in here, we never do that. We never try to figure, for example, our alcoholism out. You will, never, you will hardly ever hear a meeting where the topic is, why are you an alcoholic? If you do, I'll guarantee you, everybody be walking out of there with a resentment. I mean, blah, 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 you know, because that's such a waste of time in a spiritual program. That has no relevance at all. And besides, you never get the answer. I thought, see, I worried about that forever. You know, my mother did something, and my uncle, and you know, the down, the down, and none of that was useful in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous because we're not going to solve problems anymore. We're going to surrender to them. It's a whole different ballgame. It's, it's like, what? You're going to surrender? I mean, your whole being is going to go against the type of program that we're talking about where you say, well, your biggest problem in the world is alcohol. What you're going to have to do is totally surrender to it. Because in the spiritual ball game, we have a lot of paradoxes, and the first one is, if you want to win, you must give up. If you want to win, you must give up. And it sounds like some mumbo-jumbo, but that's exactly what a spiritual program is. You have to stop fighting it. You must surrender to this thing. The reason you're going under is because you continue to struggle. You're like a person who's drowning, and sometimes the lifeguard has to knock them out in order to save them so that they'll stop struggling and fighting the whole thing and can be lifted out of the problem. And so in a spiritual program, problems are not solved. They are removed. They just go away unsolved. And you want to know something? Some of us find that unacceptable. You may think that's funny. We'd be glad to take whatever problem you have and simply remove it. It'll never be figured out, but it'll be gone. Uh, I don't know. I think I'd like to hang on to it until I figure it out, you know. <laughs> and this is the human ego that doesn't see that being free of something is the jackpot. Why does it have to be figured out? Why can't it simply go away? And we cling to this old way of problem solving, and, this, this, and it's very hard to let go when your mind is attuned to figuring things out. But that's what has to happen here, because we'll never figure out our alcoholism, and eventually we let it go, and we do find that it gets removed on a daily basis, which we talk about in 10 steps. Now, nothing is permanent. Everything in the spiritual program only happens in the now, and we're only sober now. We're only happy now. And if we can learn to be content with that, then we can be content now, and it's always now. And so it's the, our minds go beyond that. And it's, it's the human part of us that we understand this spiritually. Yeah, I'm happy now, but could I also get a guarantee for tomorrow while I'm here? And, uh, 
you know, the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread and about eight loaves in the pantry. <laughs> Just in case this prayer doesn't work tomorrow. I mean, you got to cover yourself. Higher power could be busy, and there I am trying to make a sandwich, and there's no bread. So a prudent person would also be putting aside stores over here, and of course then we find that we are trying to um, turn our lives over and keep control at the same time, and that works very counterproductive in, in this type of program. So in order to get started on this whole spiritual journey that we're talking about, there's a doorway that you have to go through if you're new, and it's the first step. So even though we're on step 10, we always talk about the first step in order to get there because a lot of times there's new people that don't quite understand that this is essential in order for any of this to work. And our first step says you're powerless over alcohol and your lives have become unmanageable. And what that is saying is you must admit, acknowledge, you, your intellect must surrender to the fact that no matter how hard you try, you, are, you could never uh, get out of your alcohol dilemma. You and every re human resource there is can't get you out of this alcohol dilemma because you're powerless over it. It is too much for you. Have you ever had the feeling that life is too much for you? That's what this is what we're saying. This is too much for you. It's like you're, you're saying to yourself, life would be wonderful if I could lift a 747 with my own two arms. That is too much for you, and you should surrender that idea. It can't be done, and that's what we're trying to say about alcoholism. You're powerless over alcohol. There's no way that you, unaided, can avoid taking that first drink. You will always take it, and if you do, then all the rest of the problems of alcoholism come in where you get sick and arrested and all of the problems that happen when we get overserved in various bars. <laughs> but when we say we're powerless, we're talking about powerless when we're sober. And it's very important to understand that. The problem that we're talking about in Alcoholics Anonymous is not the problem that when you have one drink, you can't stop, and then you go on and have 50 more, and you get in a lot of trouble. That's a serious problem, but that's an easy problem to fix. It's, say you had the problem, uh, if I brought you up here on the stage and I had seven pounds of chocolate, and I just said, keep eating them. And I just fed them to you and fed them to you, and, you know, after 73 chocolates, you finally started puking all over the place. And then we'd go, I wonder what his problem is. And we go, problem is he ate too many chocolates. And we go, your problem is you ate too many chocolates. And all on your own, you could never repeat that. You could go through the rest of your life and never eat 73 chocolates again and just go on your way happily solving your problem, which occurred because you ate too many chocolates. You wouldn't have to get together with other people who like chocolate and have meetings in their homes and say, how did you not eat 73 chocolates today? You would just take care of it yourself. It's, it's, so if your problem was whenever you drink, you get all screwed up, all you have to do, you, lucky you, because that's your only problem, is not drink. Just 
don't ever drink and you will be happy and your problem will be over. But as I look around the room, I don't see too many people in that category. There's no happiness coming across your face when someone says don't drink. So what's the problem here? The problem goes way beyond the fact that when you have one drink you get all these other bad things happen. The problem is you know that if you don't drink, something will happen. You will stay sober forever. You'll always be sober. And to a new alcoholic, that is not a comfortable thought. You know what I'm saying? Because sober was what I was trying to fix with alcohol. I don't know about you all, but that's why I went to a bar. Bartender, can you help me? I, I'm sober again. <laughs> and I can't stand it. So isn't that funny? When you really think about it, wasn't your problem being sober? Isn't that what we were trying to correct with, with alcohol? So the pain of being sober, in other words, we were out there unaided, and alcohol helped us with a problem. Sure, it caused some other ones. There were some side effects to alcohol, but the fundamental reason for drinking exists without alcohol being there. So alcoholism exists without any alcohol. So it's almost a, a misnomer. Alcohol isn't the problem. Alcohol is the answer to alcoholism. You walk in and you say, I need to fix this problem of sobriety. So our problem is, how do you not take the first drink? That's what we're powerless over. That's why we have meetings. That's why we get together and we say, you know, even when I know everything about alcoholism, even when I study and, and my whole situation has been explained to me, and my boss says I'll get fired, and my wife says she'll divorce me, and my kids say they won't speak to me, and the doctor says I'm going to die in about a month, I still go ahead and have one. So knowledge doesn't help because we're powerless. So it's important to understand, powerless. And if you're powerless, you finally have started a spiritual program because you have said, whether you know it or not, I have a situation that only a higher power can fix. And it's called powerlessness. And you may not believe in a higher power, but at least believe in your situation. Because if you believe in your situation, it gets real easy to change your mind about a higher power. If you really understand where you are in powerlessness, you are exactly the same as the guy who doesn't believe in parachutes because he saw the way they packed them. And he watched them slump all this stuff together and he said, I will never go up in an airplane and jump out in a parachute. Never, ever, ever. However, if someone took you up in a plane and threw you out with a parachute on, just because you don't believe in them, you might as well try it. <laughs> right? What have you got to lose other than looking bad? <laughs> right? Hey, I thought you didn't believe it. What are you pulling it for? So you're wrong. And that's where we are with being powerless and not believing in a higher power. Why not change your mind now? And you're going to hit, you're going to crash, you're going to hit a terrible bottom in alcohol. With alcohol, you don't change your mind. Though you may look bad for a second, but you're going to see what, so that's what happens. We, 
because we're powerless, we're willing to change our mind about a whole bunch of things. And that's how we get sober. It's by getting rid of old ideas. You're going to find another thing, I'm talking about spiritual programs in general, that you don't try to get anything. Character building is not done by accumulating anything. It's done by getting rid of things. So all of the, the spiritual journey consists of getting rid of things instead of getting anything. And I like to think of a, this beautiful spiritual person that is inside of each one of you will be revealed as you strip away the garbage. It's a beautiful, beautiful gift that each one of us is. It's just been wrapped with a lot of garbage. And that's our alcoholism. And so when we come in here, the whole spiritual program is to just take away all of this. And what's left is a very beautiful thing. Uh, so I remember a sculptor once said that this beautiful statue that she has carved out of marble, and they asked her how she did it. And she said, I just took away everything that wasn't beautiful. And what was left was this remarkably beautiful thing. And that's exactly what's going to happen uh, to each one of you in this program. We're going to follow a process of stripping away what you think is the real you, because that's all you've seen for a long time. And we're going to find out there's a magnificent, uh, beautiful creature inside that has never been fully allowed to radiate and to be out in its full glory. And that's what this journey is all about, is in getting in touch with that part of ourselves. So being powerless is very important thing to start us down. And the whole AA journey is finding an answer to powerlessness. That's the whole 12-step program, is finding an answer to powerlessness, which is a higher power. And AA does not have an official higher power, because this is a spiritual program, it's not a religious program, so we have no idea who God is as a program. Each individual in AA may have an answer, may be able to share with you, well, my higher power is Buddha. My higher power is Christ. My higher power is some vague spirit of the universe. My higher power is my sponsor. Now, whatever it may be, each person will have their own definition. But the point is, if you're powerless, you need a source of power. That's what our whole, that's why that first step is so important. If you don't buy that first step 100%, then you won't make the program. Because you'll almost be powerless, you'll almost need a higher power, and you'll almost get sober. This close. Which is not worth anything. So the journey that we go down is getting rid of blockages to this um, higher power. And we talk about inventory and sharing with other human beings and becoming willing to get rid of these blockages or character defects. And then we go back and clean up the past in eight and nine, making amends to people. And finally, we get to the tenth step, which is our day at a time step. And we can finally get there because we have settled to the best of our ability in steps eight and nine with the past. And we now no longer have a whole list of people that we're afraid to run into and a whole bunch of events that we're afraid to think about because they cause so much remorse and guilt and fear we've done our best shot at settling with the past in steps eight and nine. So it says in step 10, continue to take personal inventory, and when we are wrong, promptly admitted it. And this is how to live one day at a time. If you're new and you're wondering, 
where is the day at a time instruction why they're in step 10. This is how to get through a day. And notice, it's the second step with inventory. So inventory is clearly one of the great secrets of how to stay happy, is by inventorying. And all we're inventorying is blockages. In other words, we're going along and we're reasonably happy. We come out of this meeting. We're, hey, man, I'm in a good mood. I'm really, you know, because our channel's been open. We, we really have good contact. And we get in the car. Something happens and you can feel something being choked off. And that's what it feels like. When you try to look at human behavior from a spiritual sense, we're being cut off from this flow of serenity that we opened up when we were at a meeting or when we were reading a book or when we woke up with it or after some prayer or whatever. We have a nice open channel and now it starts getting closed and we all know what it feels like. You, you get flushed, you feel a choking sensation in your throat, you have <clears throat> uptight is a good way to look at it or you feel resentment starting as this heat sort of you, you feel that coming. That's what we're inventorying. That's what a daily inventory is all about, is to go, are you feeling any of these blockages occurring? And the whole point of taking inventory is to look and say, the problem is I'm starting to get blocked up, and what I want to do is open that channel again and then go on with the day. And so taking inventory is a very, very positive thing to learn how to do and make it be second nature. Uh, instead of inventorying the world, which is what we did before. I know what my problem is. He did that, and he did this, and he did that, and we inventoried all out there with the idea that if they would all pay attention and follow what was our plan and drive right and vote right and think right, then the world would be real nice, according to my view of it. And, of course, nobody's listening. You're sitting in there just fuming and full of resentments, and they're all just going their own way and having a wonderful day and all that. So we come down to the type of inventories that you can do when you're talking about a 10th step. And there's a couple of basic ones. But probably one of the most important is to understand the 10th step is this spot check inventory, which we, I was sort of talking about right there. When we feel that we're losing it, when you feel that you're starting to lose control or you're losing this conscious contact is really what's happening. Inventory, though, that's a spot check inventory. Stop. Hey, I am starting to lose. So that's a spot check inventory. You do it all the way during the day. It's like constantly checking how you're doing spiritually as you go through the day. The other types are taken at the end of the day or at the end of a month, sort of review the bidding or get together with your sponsor or go to a retreat and just sort of take a broader view of how we're doing with the um, perspective of how could I do better? How could I, what, what areas could I grow in? So we're always looking how to keep the channel as open as possible. That's what the whole deal is. There's an axiom that is in the 10th step that is a very important thing called the spiritual axiom of the 10th step. And it has to do with what our brain thinks about when we start feeling this choked up. Something has happened. Somebody does something and now we're not in that comfortable spot we were in five seconds ago. And the spiritual axiom says, 
If something disturbs us, no matter what the cause, there's something wrong with us. Notice that it says there's something wrong with, and your finger's ready to point, us. And so you go, what do you mean? What's wrong with me? And the answer is, what's wrong with me is I'm disturbed. That's what's wrong. I may not have done anything wrong. Someone else may have done something very wrong. But my problem is I'm disturbed. And the difference in the tenth step compared to the way most of us used to live is our top priority now is getting undisturbed. Whereas our old top priority was getting even. You know what I'm saying? At least it was mine. It was, hey, you made me disturbed. <clears throat> and it ranged all the way from the bird to a punch. I mean, you know, depending on what your philosophy of life was in terms of interpersonal relationships. <laughs> or maybe you were a stuffet and you just stuffed the anger and then got him later, like a month later. <clears throat> exploded all over the place. But whatever it was, we always focused on the outside world when we were disturbed instead of focusing on the fact that I'm disturbed and I have a program, I have a plan where I can become undisturbed. And remember what I was saying earlier where I said your mm -hmm. ego sometimes will say, I don't want to become undisturbed so I figure this out. And that's the difference. What we have here is a plan, a little four-step plan to get undisturbed before we proceed. And when you think about that, that's the best way. Bill Wright in the Southern Father, as soon as somebody sees this, if you ever read the way Bill writes, he's, he was a drunk just like the rest of us, and he knows our ratty little minds are going to question certain things as he goes along. And it's when he says this spiritual axiom, if something disturbs us, no matter what the cause, there's something wrong with us. The next line was, well, what about justifiable anger? You know what I mean? Because that's what we're going to think. Because we don't want this to be an absolute axiom. Covers all situations. I just point at me. And, you know, I'm not like that. So what about, what if Hitler walked in here, you know, try to think of some exception to this axiom so I don't have to follow it at all. And uh, he said, very interesting comment. He said, justifiable anger ought to be left to those who can handle it. And there aren't anybody in this room. All of my anger was justified. I mean, that's the way I saw it. And so it was very important for me to see that the top priority was getting undisturbed and not worrying about whether I'm entitled to be angry. Why would I want the right to be angry? I mean, I can remember, it's almost like somebody's taking away my right to be angry. Um, I'd be glad to give that up. I'd be glad to give up anger if I could get rid of it and never have any of it. I don't mean stuffing, I mean just never have it. I'd be delighted to get rid of it. But you know what's funny about anger? It gives you a feeling of superiority. It's a great ego trip to be angry. Hey! <sighs> All those ideas are pissing me off. <laughs> and we just get sort of self-righteous with our own anger. And so it's a trip. It's 
an ego trip to really get angry. And the idea of giving it up sometimes is quite foreign, even though it would be the most wonderful feeling we could have, to walk around anger-free. There's a lot in the big book Bill writes several times, God help me from being angry. God save me from being angry. Because the emotional letdown afterwards, it's like a hangover. When you go on these emotional binges where you just get off on a terrible resentment or a terrible outburst of anger, the, the remorse later on is uh, almost like a hangover. I mean, it's an emotional hangover. So the purpose of this spot check inventory is to stop us uh, and see as we feel this disturbance coming along. And then there's this little four-part plan for dealing with this. And the first one is self-restraint. And if you read the 12 and 12, you'll see that Bill writes in there, the top priority that we ask for on a daily basis is self-restraint. I like to think of self-restraint. My friend Ed Chandler talks about uh, his approach to life is, as he gets up in the morning and goes out the door, he, in advance, gives five people permission to be wrong. In advance. So he has a five-person cushion between him and the world. The first jerk does this, and he goes, hey, I already gave him permission to, to do that. Two, three, four. So there's a five-person cushion. Well, that's self-restraint. If you could have a 10-second cushion between you and the world so that when things happen, there's 10 seconds before you do anything, it would be a whole different world. Because generally, somebody goes, Bruh! and we go, Bruh! you know, and your boss comes in, he says, that's a lousy memo. Screw you. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just, the words are just coming out, and they're about to hit his ear, and we go, God, I hope he doesn't hear that. <laughs> and then he says, you're fired out of here. And you go, Argh. Whereas if I had 10 seconds, he'd go, lousy memo. And go, well, maybe it is. <laughs> and I'd be back down here, so then I wouldn't have all these things that have to be straightened out. I wouldn't have to make amends to my children for giving them those dirty looks and, oh, you know, that get out of here. All of the various things that happen. So self-restraint is some top priority. We want to have that so that we have, we are not being jerked around by our emotions because when we react emotionally, we're locked into a stupid position, generally. We're locked into something because we've already done something about it. So if we have self-restraint, that's what we pray for, is like a, a cushion between us and the world, then we're able to go through, as we feel these disturbances, the following three things. One is an honest analysis of what's wrong. So let's see what's going on here. And as we analyze it, we may see that Mary, who we came in and said hello to at work, must have had a terrible weekend. Because the more I look at her, she is totally bent out of shape, and that's probably why she was, came off the wall with that remark. So now I've honest analysis. I took a look and I see that the, the conflict was caused by this other person. So now that I've had time to think about it, and I can understand that she may have had a rough weekend, I can forgive her. I can just say, hey, I understand. It's cool. We'll, this will straighten out later on. I'm back to work. I'm undisturbed. And that's the end of that incident. Or in my honest analysis, if I look about it and find out that I was off the wall, that I came in 
you know, Mr. Big Shot, bah, 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 and sort of rolling over people, and it caused them to react in kind, then immediately I can go back and make amends. And I can just say, hey, gang, why don't we go back and start the whole damn day over? Here's the problem. I'm going to lay it on the table, whatever. So it comes up with a plan to constantly get undisturbed. The day at a time plan reminds me, you know how in the wintertime if you walk across the rug in your house and then you touch a doorknob and a spark comes out? Well, if you walk around the rug like 30 times before you stick your finger on there, you get a good one. I mean, you can just go, whoa, you know. Well, what the day at a time program is saying is, let's keep touching. <laughs> Every three steps, let's just, let's just get rid of any buildup that we are feeling rather than let it get gigantic so that we have to call our sponsor or something. It is a way of constantly throughout the day inventorying, is the channel open? Am I losing it? And if not, let's get it fixed. Let's get it fixed. So it's a, it's a, a skill that requires practice, but it is absolutely doable. It is absolutely doable. And I, and I know some of you are saying, oh, I don't know. You want Just try this. Make next Thursday your spiritual day, just as an experiment. Just next Thursday, just say, next Thursday, to hell with anything else. Even if I don't get any work done at work, I'm going to keep taking inventories. I'm going to get up in the morning, let five people be wrong. I am going to go through next Thursday, just as an experiment, without getting disturbed once. All I'm going to do is just be open. I'm just going to, that's my whole thing. That's all I'm going to think about. And you'll be able to do it. I guarantee you will be able, hour by hour, with your top priority, is not getting disturbed. Just be friendly. Just be, hey, fine with me. Hi, hi. Just be that way the whole day. Then, the, then you can join the rest of us in wondering why we don't do it all the time. That'll be the mystery of the rest of your sobriety, is to wonder why, even though we know how to do this, that we don't. And it's because we're human beings and our minds take over and veto all of this and we go off with a better plan. Ah, enough of that serenity, i got to make some money. Uh, what do you want the money for? So that I can get serene. What the hell do you think? I don't want just, I want to be happy and not rich. Oh, okay. Doesn't that sound stupid? I don't want to be happy and not rich. Why do you want to be rich? Because it would make me happy. Oh. But that's the mental change that we get in. So this four-part thing is just to get through the day undisturbed. And then the last thing, and we'll wrap it up here in one minute, at the end of the day, it is suggested that we take a look at our day just at, before we're going to bed and just look back over the day and see where we did some good things. See where we've made some progress in this program and take note of it and be grateful for it. And then look at situations that if you could do over again, if you could do that encounter in the drugstore over again with the checkout clerk, how would you handle it spiritually? How would, what would be a better way of handling that? You know, throwing the crap back in his face and storming out or perhaps having a little conversation about something. In other words, visualizing how you personally could handle things better is a great step in causing our behavior to turn out that way. And it is, it is a marvelous thing. It's not, 
a waste of time. It's not just dumping all over ourselves. This is a very happy and productive type thing to do because it'll end up freeing us from all the times that we spend resenting and pouting and being afraid. Uh, it's a small amount of time that we take to inventory. So that's basically what our big 10-step day-at-a-time thing is. Don't forget there's no meeting next week. If you, if you, would, uh, if you go to the Westside Club, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Keep coming back. It works if you work it. Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Saturday morning live group of Alcoholics Anonymous. My name is Sandy Beach, and I'm an alcoholic. How are you all doing this morning? It's really good to see everybody here this morning. And as we do every week, why we want to start out by welcoming anybody who has, uh, hasn't been here before to the Saturday morning live group. We just hope you get something out of it, hope you enjoy it, and we ask you to keep coming back. And if you're new to AA, if you're just arriving in our fellowship, uh, well, I just want to tell you that everybody in this room wants you to make it. They've all been through exactly what you're going through right now. We all sat out there at these meetings in the very beginning wondering how we got here and how do you get out of here and uh, why do I feel so nervous and afraid and I don't think I'm going to fit into this outfit and all of those things. And besides, they keep talking about not drinking and I don't think that's a good plan. And so all of those internal conflict and everything, if you will just stick around, believe us, all of that is going to calm down, and uh, there's a lot of wonderful things in store for you. You just can't see them yet. So take our word for it and disregard your better judgment and stay here. That's all. That's what we'd like to tell you. And then later on, you can make the judgment as to uh, whether or not all this is happening or not. It's customary to start our meetings with uh, the preamble. Alcoholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength, and hope with each other that they may solve their common problems and help others to recover from alcoholism. The only requirement for membership is the desire to stop drinking. There are no dues or fees for AA membership. We're self-supporting for our own contributions. AA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution. Does not wish to engage in any controversy neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sober and help other alcoholics to achieve sobriety. And you'll hear that read at just about every meeting, and it serves as a wonderful reminder to all of us exactly what AA is and what we're all doing here this morning and at about 250 other AA meetings today and every day in the Washington, D.C. area. So there's a lot of meetings, no matter where you live, where you work, in the morning, noon, nighttime, men's meetings, women's meetings, you name it. And uh, so there's just plenty available. Um, we got a couple of announcements to get out of the way. But we okay, if you haven't been here before, let me say that uh, we run the meeting a little bit different than most of our meetings. It's done in a classroom setting, and we talk about the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. 
Um, if you're new, you'll find that most of our other meetings are speaker meetings or discussion meetings, but this was started, this type of meeting was started 25 years ago, somewhere in there. And it was the thought that it would be good to have a place where you could go and know ahead of time that somebody who'd been in AA a long time was going to share on the step, and therefore you could just sit back and relax and you wouldn't have to worry about what you were going to say in order to look smart when it was your turn during the discussion meeting or whatever. And so this meeting started, I guess we're coming up on 18 years, somewhere in there. Um, and we've been doing that ever since. I think the other meetings all go through the steps three at a time, but we shifted over to one at a time. So the format here, and we're on step 12 today, and that'll complete the cycle of the steps. Then we'll have one week on the traditions of AA. Then we're going to try this question and answer thing. We'll see whether that works or not. Then we have two weeks on the history of AA. We talk about how this amazing organization got started and all the funny stories uh, back in the uh, 30s and 40s. And then we start all over again. And so it takes 15 weeks to run through this whole thing. Um, being on step 12 today, which is sort of the wrap up of our whole program, gives me a chance to kind of review the whole package here this morning. So it's a big mouthful to get through talking about our 12th step. But in order to even make a beginning at that, let me just start because there's always new people in attendance and tell you a few things about our steps and then start talking about step 12. Uh, I'm sure if you've been in AA even a week, you have seen the steps written down somewhere. Somebody gave you one of these little cards with a serenity prayer and gave you some literature. And everywhere you go, you hear people talking about the steps. And may, perhaps you've even picked it up and glanced at it and looked at it. And like the rest of us, you probably didn't relate to it at all. You know, you just read it and went, well, that's very interesting. but..." I've got a lot more pressing problems than this, and I'll get around to that later on. It's very hard to see the relationship between those steps and your own personal situation today, and that's not unusual. That's very that's what happens to all of us. But those steps are Alcoholics Anonymous. That's what this whole program is, are those 12 steps. That is what individual members of Alcoholics Anonymous do in order to stay sober and happy. And you have to have both of those things happen. I'm telling you that right now. If you're new, it is absolutely essential that you get sober and get happy with not drinking. Because if you don't, it's going to be just like being on the wagon. It's very hard to stay sober and miserable for any extended period of time. That's what we did before we got to AA. We tried to just not drink and make a big sacrifice and we walked around and people would see us and we'd go I'm not drinking and you could see the neck muscles and you and you kept track at all times you could say I haven't had a drink in six hours I mean it was just like a bomb getting ready to go off and you did with Saturday night and you watching everybody else is drinking and I'm not and it was full of self-pity and all that that just cannot go on for any extended period of time. And so the steps are designed to enable us, through the power of these steps in this program, to not drink and to get very happy and comfortable with not drinking. And that is why they're so important to do. Now, in the very beginning, we just hold on and not drink, and it's tough, 
But as we start working this program and going to meetings and talking with our sponsors, we will be given this wonderful gift of sobriety. And at first, you may not recognize it as a miracle. You may not even see what has happened because it happens so subtly. But very often, what's going to happen is you've been coming around to these stupid meetings for a couple of months, and you're, you know, you're, you're not even telling anybody you secretly like it a little bit because that would be uncool. But something is going on, and you sort of have met some people, and they're nice to you, and they seem to understand you, and the more people talk, the more they seem to have had the same problems that you've had. And then something very unusual happens, and maybe you've been coming around two or three months, and all of a sudden you, it occurs to you that you forgot to worry about drinking last week. You forgot to worry about drinking. It's almost like you had a mental breakdown or something like that. <laughs> Because you have been obsessing about alcohol for years. And all of a sudden, you forgot to obsess about alcohol last week. And you almost feel like writing down, don't forget to obsess about alcohol. I mean, it's such a part of our nature, it's hard to believe that it could be lifted out. But that is exactly what a spiritual solution looks like. Something that has been bothering you for a long time stops bothering you and you don't understand why. It is very different than the intellectual solutions we've been used to before we came here. We're used to problem solving instead of problem removing. We like to figure things out. We assumed we would come here and learn all about alcoholism and we would study and learn what it does to our liver and what it does to this and what it does to that. And instead, we come in here and we surrender to alcoholism. We just surrender to it. We don't have to learn anything about it except that it's going to kill you if you keep drinking. It doesn't matter why we started or what causes alcoholism. It's irrelevant in the spiritual world because we're simply going to work towards its removal. The one thing we know about your alcoholism is it bothers you or you wouldn't be here. It is causing you a problem and, and that is your alcoholism. Whatever it is doing to your life is probably very similar to what it did to everybody else's life, but it's causing a lot of problems. And this program will show you a path to follow that will cause those problems to stop happening without figuring them out. Now, a lot of times, our intellect doesn't want to accept this kind of an answer. I don't like stuff just being removed. I want to figure it out. Clancy from the West Coast talks about, you know, an alcohol, an alcoholic who was on the Titanic is standing up there as it's going under and the lifeboat is sitting right here and he goes, I'm not getting off this baby till I figure out what happened. You know what I mean? I want to know what caused this crash, then I'll get off. Then I can let go of it. We have a slogan, let go and let God. It works 100% of the time. We just don't want to let go. You mean simply let them off the hook? When we're talking about resentments to other people? Just let them go? Wait a minute. I'm going to... I got a judgment here. I got to think this through. I don't want to just be free of all my problems. I want to hold on to them till I figure them out. You see, you see what I'm saying? 
Our intellect isn't used to this type of an approach where you can be set free from your problems without figuring them out. We like to analyze everything. We like to figure everything out. We, you will never figure your alcoholism out. They've been trying to figure alcoholism out since I got sober, and I don't think they're any closer today than they were 30 years ago. Uh, I think trying to figure alcoholism out has been about similar to figuring sadness out. When they come up with a cure for sadness uh, other than a higher power, then I'll know we're on the track. Other than drugs, we all knew how to cure sadness back when we were drinking. Um, so anyway, we all have this in common, and we come in here, and we, we are given this plan for living called the 12 steps. And the main thing we talk week after week, the main thing this plan does, it stops your plan. We have a thing in our chapter 5 where it says, old ideas availed us nothing. You and I put together a plan for living before we got here. And it was a combination of our childhood and things we learned in school and things we learned from other kids and things we learned off of bathroom walls and things we learned in movies and things we learned in churches and all kinds of stuff got put together in our head and that was our perception of the world and we put together some rules for living and that was your little code of how to live. And um, most of us were proud of our code because we put it together. But what's pointed out when we come into AA, we don't analyze your code at all. Matter of fact, we don't even want to hear about it. What we do observe are the results of your plan for living. And generally, they aren't too good. You puke every day, you have no friends, you're afraid of your own shadow, your family doesn't want to speak to you, the police are looking for you, bill collectors are looking for you all over the place. You're thinking of suicide, but you want to hold on to the plan. You know, you see what I'm talking about. It's just, actually, it's basically a pretty good plan. It's just got a few little areas that need. And, and from our perspective, you, we feel you should get as far away from that plan as you can. That, that's our feeling. And so when we start this, the idea of trying to live by the 12 steps, one of the great things that happens is we stop doing the old plan. Just stop living that way and try this. And so that's one of the big pluses. The other thing is, this plan gets wonderful results. So you don't compare the theory of your plan for living with AA's theory. We compare the results of your plan, namely you, with the people in AA who stand up and tell you, I've got three months, I've got six months, I've got five years, blah, 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 and lined up. Tell their stories. It's a big show and tell operation. You get to look at the results of the plan of AA at meetings all the time. So it's not that big a leap of faith at all. And then we make the statement in Chapter 5, if you want what we have, this is how you get there, is through these 12 steps. So that's what the steps are. They're really the heart of the whole program for individual members of Alcoholics Anonymous. Now the meetings and the sponsors and all the rest of these things this is the atmosphere within which we encourage and push each other to keep doing the steps. Because no matter how long you've been sober, the steps will never look like they work. They don't look like they work. Meetings don't look like they work. Church doesn't look like it works. You can't, it doesn't look like I'm going to walk in there and then when I walk out I'll feel better. You know what I mean? But on the other hand, a bar didn't look like it should work. Did it? 
Here's this crummy place. To people who don't drink, do they wonder why people go into bars? Why would you go in there? Why would you go in there? Wonderful things happen when you go in there. That's why you go in there. I go in there to get a power inside of me that makes the world look wonderful. Why wouldn't you want to go in there and make the world look wonderful? Well, the same thing happens here. It just doesn't look like it should work. Neither did he step. Now, the only other difference is this takes longer to work. It's not an instant change like alcohol and drugs work, where you went in and go, bam. So you have to be patient, but it will work. It is promised in our promises that all of these things will come to pass, and it won't take that long. It just takes a complete willingness to let go of our old way of living and try this new way. So now having said all that, we get to the doorway into this whole thing. And we, you've heard it said that it's a spiritual program, so that scares most of us right back out the door because we're not very familiar with anything spiritual. We may have had some religious bad experiences as children or something, and we've long since abandoned that. Or we stuck with it and are convinced that it doesn't work because we've been drunk all this time. So we have old ideas about religions, but we have very little knowledge, most of us, about spirituality as separated from religion. And this is a spiritual program. It's, it's, there is no religion here. Religions are, can teach you about a higher power and tell you what this higher power is and what his name is and the history of it and all of these things. Hey, hey, we don't have any of that. We just have a higher power as you understand him. So it's going to be up to you to determine what this higher power is. But what we have are some time-tested principles that are common to many religions, philosophies, and the early experience of AA itself. And these principles, if followed, will put you in touch with a power greater than yourself, and then you can explain to yourself what this power is. But you will feel it. You will experience some changes in your life that are not attributable to anything other than spirituality. And if you choose, you can try to explain it and go back to a church and you'll have your explanation. For many of us, it remains the power of the universe that gave us AA and we're not as curious about what this power is. We know this power by the results that we've achieved in our lives. And so if you ask me what's your definition of my own personal higher power, I would tell you, well, it gave me this and it gave me that and it gave me that. So my higher power is whatever gave me all this. So you can see we don't have to get hung up on, is this higher power right and that one's wrong or all of that. We just say, the reason, and we talk a lot about this, AA does not try to prove the existence of God. You don't see us trying to do that. We don't try to convince anyone of the existence of a higher power. I'll tell you what we do do, and we're very good at this. We specialize in convincing you of the need for a higher power. That's our position. And we have found that as soon as people are open to the idea of a higher power, because they need it, because if there isn't a higher power, it's all over. We talk often about our first and second step being powerless over alcohol being very similar to a person who for whatever reason, maybe they were born into a family of parachute riggers and they watched them putting the silk in there and they saw that sometimes they were drunk and sometimes they were smoking and sometimes they were screwing around 
and they just came to believe that it wasn't safe to use a parachute because they saw them packed. So they were sort of non-parachute believers. And they went through life and people say, want to go parachute? Them? Nope. No goddamn way. I'm never going to do that. I've seen them packed. I'm never going to ever, ever have my life rest in the balance of a parachute until someone threw them out of a plane one day with a chute on and you're on your way down and you're about to hit. And someone suggests, why don't you just pull the ripcord anyway? Even though you don't believe anything's going to happen, what have you got to lose by pulling that other than being wrong? <laughs> Some of us would go ahead and hit because we wouldn't want to look bad. Ha, 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 ha. Bam. You didn't see me chicken out and change my mind, did you? And we think they're going to write a rock and roll song about us. What a guy, hung in there all the way to the end. What a hero, what a run. And of course, they do write a song. It's called, What an Asshole. You know, so. so this is how our spirituality begins in AA. We come up against a situation in our personal lives through our drinking where we suddenly realize we're going to get hurt real bad if this doesn't stop. We're about to hit a bottom, and that's what our first step says. You're powerless over alcohol. Your life is unmanageable. And when you say you're powerless, whether you understand it or not, what you have said is, unless there's a higher power, I'm screwed. That's what powerless says. It doesn't say, I have to go study and learn a bunch of things, or it's all over. Because that's not what it says. It doesn't say you're ignorant about alcohol. It says you are powerless over alcohol. And so unless something comes along to take care of that, you're going to keep drinking and you're going to die drunk. That's what being powerless is. So it's a good time to change your mind about a higher power under those conditions. And so that's why we specialize in convincing people of the need for a higher power. And we talk on and on about that first step because if you don't take it 100 percent none of the program will work it just won't work because it's not an intellectual program it's a spiritual program and if you don't totally surrender if you aren't 100 percent alcoholic if you think that unlike all the rest of the low brows in this room you have sort of an alcohol situation you see what i'm saying the rest of them I can see, they're, they're all screwed up. But what I have is sort of situational maladjustment to alcohol due to unusual childhood circumstances and coming from New England. So that could be whatever the hell it is. So you, you sit in the middle of meetings sort of separate from the rest of the crowd, but you don't tell them that because you don't want to upset them. So you sit in there, but in your mind, you're just a little bit different. You're almost the same as everybody here. You're almost an alcoholic. You almost need a higher power. You almost need a sponsor. You almost need to do these steps. And you almost get sober. You just missed it by that much. And of course, almost getting sober is like almost having a parachute. Got You know, I almost took one of those damn things. It's, it's the same as never having heard about AA. Almost. And 
so that's why we say we have to do that first step 100%. Totally surrender to the fact that we're alcohol, that we're powerless over alcohol. And that means we're powerless when we don't have any alcohol in our system. And a lot of times we have to explain that to new people. The problem is not that when you drink, you get all screwed up. The problem is when you're sober and you understand everything there is about yourself and your problem, you still take the first drink. And there's nothing that can stop you from taking that first drink. That's what being powerless over alcohol is. Alcoholism occurs when there's no alcohol in your system. Alcoholism occurs when there's no alcohol in your system. There's a drop. Hasn't been any alcohol in your system for a week. Now alcoholism attacks. And it says to you, go have a drink because life is so unbearable, you need relief from life. And besides, this time it's going to be different. This time, you're not going to get in all that trouble. This time, then you go in and get all screwed up again. And so that's what being powerless is. And believe me, there's no way to get out of that on your own. So we surrender to that, change our mind about a higher power, and then our whole AA journey takes us to step 12. The whole point of joining Alcoholics Anonymous and moving all the way through the steps is contained in two words in the beginning of our 12th step. And the beginning of our 12th step says, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we try to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice these principles in all our affairs. And the key word is spiritual awakening. Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps. <coughs> so the steps, starting right from the beginning, are designed to do one thing to cause a spiritual awakening. So what do we mean by that? Is it some great bush catches on fire in front of your eyes and you go, wow, look at that. No, that is not what is meant by that. What is meant by a spiritual awakening is a profound personality change where a person goes from being a frightened, angry, resentful, negative person whose view of the world is one of great turmoil and trouble into a very positive person whose view of the world is very positive, bright, happy, and joyful. And nothing in their lives changed. They still don't have a job, or they still are going through a divorce, or they still haven't solved their financial problems, and they're still going to the doctor for some health problems. But for some unexplained reason, they're happy about it. They're positive about it. So the person changed from this one personality to this other personality, and there's no external reason for this change. So it must have taken place inside. A tremendous dislocation, as uh, Bill wrote about, or Carl Jung was trying to cause that in um, Roland takes place as a result of these meetings and these steps, and we call it, for lack of a better word, a spiritual awakening. And it comes about as a result of taking these steps. So Bill writes in our 12 and 12 that the rest of the steps are how we prepare ourselves to receive this gift, because it's absolutely a gift. It's just given freely to anyone 
who makes themselves ready to receive it. I think it's been there waiting to be handed to each one of us. We just were in, not in a position to receive it. It reminds me a little bit of the mail service. You know, if you live out in the country or wherever it is, and you want to have mail delivered to you, you got to put a mailbox up. And they got certain standards and sizes and put on a post and put on the road where the guy drives by and you have all this. And maybe an alcoholic might just say, forget that, just throw it on the lawn. I don't need to go through all the trouble of building that. Just throw the crap off, I'll pick it up out there. But that's not how the deal works. If you don't have this mechanism for receiving it, then they won't deliver it to you. And we may claim, I never get any mail. No one ever writes to me. You see what I'm saying? Everyone else gets mail, but I don't. And so when we close ourselves off spiritually to all the wonderful things that spirituality can bring, none of them can get in, causing us to honestly feel they don't exist no higher power. I've never seen any higher power. I don't see any spirituality. I don't feel any joy come roaring through my life. I don't think that stuff is real. And from your perspective, my perspective before I got here, it wasn't real. I never had a glimpse of any of this. So it caused me to think that people were making stories up or that they were different than I was or something was crazy was going on. But I I have a thing called free will which allows me to block out anything, even a higher power. I can block out, but I can't block out the need for a higher power. Even as I block out a higher power, the pain of not having a higher power inside of me magnifies. And I think a lot of times that's why a lot, a lot of us alcoholics think about committing suicide. That something inside of us is telling us that life is unsatisfactory that something is missing in our lives and, it's, and we can't go on without it. And we misdiagnose what's missing and we think it's sex or we think it's another relationship or we think it's money or we think I got to move to Hawaii. If I was there, man, this pain would be gone. And it turns out that we misdiagnosed the pain and the pain was spiritual pain. What was missing was a higher power. What was missing was this whole part of ourselves, the spiritual side of ourselves, was being left empty, and it felt like it was money, and it felt like it was sexuality, or it felt like it was power, or whatever it may be, but those were all wrong, because many people who have achieved these other things, lots of money, they still talk about, <sighs> it's, it's still not there. And even in those circumstances, with everything you could want, people walk around miserable because they haven't addressed what's really missing. So that's what the steps are designed to do is make us eligible or open, if you will, to receiving this. And as we study our steps, we find out that all the rest of the steps talk about removing obstacles to the flow of a higher power. That's what inventories and sharing character defects are. They are blockages to this to the entry of a higher power in our lives. And so we got to set about figuring out how to get them out of the way and how to keep this channel open so that we are never deprived of a higher power coming into our lives. It's almost like, and, and when we, when resentments, when 
things come along that upset us and we cut the channel off, we start blaming it on other things. We, oh, this happened, that happened. And really all that happened was we got cut off from our higher power. Almost like getting cut off in a bar. That's the worst thing that can happen in a bar, right? Oh yeah, you can come in here anytime you want. No drinks. Why would I come here? I mean, man, you're, you're cutting me off from, you know, it's kind of like going in and visiting somebody in the hospital and standing on their oxygen hose. Hey, how you doing, John? Oh, I'm doing pretty good, doing pretty well. It's good to see you, you know, and after a while, you know, it's just, what's happening? I don't know. I don't know. So call the doctor. Tell him my blood pressure's going on. they got all these symptoms, and they're, they're trying to diagnose the whole thing, and finally go, oh, sorry, stepping on the hose here. But all these other problems look like that we may need several new specialists and all kinds of things. The complete misdiagnosis of it, just stepping on the hose. And the same thing here. We just go around diagnosing all the problems that we have. I got this, I got that, and then that's not it at all. Stepping on the hose down here. Get your foot off of there. And that's why you come back to meetings. And when you study step 12, and Bill talks about all the different problems that can come into our lives, there's one answer. It just keeps coming back to this one answer. Oh, that just grow more spiritually. Grow more spiritually. That's what first things first means in our slogan is to learn how to put spiritual part of our lives ahead of everything else. What it's suggesting is if you will change the way you live to make a top priority of always checking your spiritual condition first and then take another look at all other areas of your life, you'll find those other areas straighten out by themselves that they weren't the ones that needed attention, that this was the one that needed attention. But it doesn't look like that. It'll never look like that, and that's why we keep coming back to the meeting to remind each other of this. I always tell a story about when I first got sober, and uh, I guess I had two years of sobriety, went to a meeting every single night, and the Marine Corps saw fit to release me. I was making a career. I had 14 years of commission service, and they just said, goodbye. Well, I thought I got screwed. I mean, I really thought that if you went to a meeting every night for two years, this shouldn't happen, that I should have turned my life around and run, 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 run. So I went to one of these discussion meetings, and you know how the leader has a topic, but he always says, is there anybody here who has something? <clears throat> I got my hand. I never raised my hand in one of those places, but I was so damn upset with this injustice that I decided that I was going to bring it out here in the AA meeting, so I raised my hand. And said, yeah, I got a topic. Getting thrown out of the Marine Corps, that's my topic. So the group sort of coughed a little bit and thought, and finally some guy raised his hand. So getting thrown out of the Marine Corps, serenity prayer. That's the obvious answer to that, serenity prayer. I remember giving him that look, you know, like, what about a goddamn job? You know, I need a job. <laughs> you know, I don't want to hear this. Whatever that kind of advice you're given is, I need something practical here. You know, serenity prayer. Whoa, whoa. So anyway, the next person has their hand up. Thrown out of Marine Corps, I would double up on your meetings. You got a lot of time anyway. Double up on your meetings. Double up on the meetings, you know. Next person said, oh, thrown out of Marine Corps, work with new people. Get your mind off yourself. Work, get a new person and, and just help them with their program. Mm, thanks a lot, you know. And then, last guy. Oh, thrown out of the Marine Corps? Prayer St. Francis. Right out of the 11th step. Prayer St. Francis. 
perfect thing for getting thrown out of the Marine Corps. I sat there and took all this in and said, I'm getting a new home group. That's what I said. You know, I said. The, the predominant thought in my mind was, I don't think I explained the problem right. Uh, I got to go home and take a course in communication because I obviously failed to communicate my problem or they never would have given me that kind of, what is that that they just told me? I mean, it was just crazy. They told me that, well, so another eight years went by. I never raised my hand at a discussion meeting during that eight years. I got straightened out and got the job, got moving along. All of a sudden, again, terrible things are happening. I'm suddenly being divorced. Another guy's moving in. I'm out. I go, what is this all about? Going to meetings every day for eight, nine years. Rump up, up, up. Somebody had a discussion meeting. I got a topic. Getting thrown out of your own house. Wow, wow. How's that for a topic? First guy, thrown out of your house, serenity prayer. That's what you need. Getting thrown out of your house, it's serenity prayer. Next guy says, thrown out of your house, got nowhere to go, double up on your meetings, double up on your meetings. Thrown out of your house, work with somebody new, get your mind off of that, work with somebody new. Last guy, prayer St. Francis. Anytime you get thrown out of a house, prayer St. Francis. Perfect thing to do. Six years went by. Never raised my hand again in one of those meetings. Then I was in the real estate business, and the money more, and the mortgage money's drying up. I can't make any money, and I'm going to be going into bankruptcy. There was a lot of years of sobriety, and I'm just going, this ain't supposed to happen. So I went in there, and I said, I need some money, so I'll just put, drop a hint at the meeting. Going into bankruptcy, oh, you know. <laughs> Not supposed to happen to nice people. <laughs> you know what happened. First up, bankruptcy, hey. Serenity prayer. You gotta say serenity prayer. Bankruptcy. Bankruptcy. Double up on the meeting. Just don't put anything in the collection. <laughs> Work with new people. They can drive you to meetings. All right. And, and the last thing, prayer St. Francis. So what do we got here? We got just one answer. One answer for all problems. One answer for all problems. Doesn't seem possible. Does that seem possible? Is anybody in here sort of going, one answer for all problems? I find that difficult to believe. You do? I thought you were an alcoholic. What'd you do before you got here? Did you have one answer for all problems or not? <laughs> I did. I never remember having a problem where I said, boy, here's one problem I won't be drinking over. <laughs> one answer for all problems. So we already know about that. Why are we sitting here resisting this? One answer for all problems. So that's what this, what, what all this journey was, was to cause us to understand that if we went to this, we could have this thing called a spiritual awakening. Spiritual awakening, this personality change, puts us in touch with the fact that this is amazing. I heard spirituality explained at Midtown one night, many years ago, when the younger people started coming in more and more numbers, and all of a sudden there was something like a 16-year-old girl is sponsoring a 14-year-old girl, and she was explaining spirituality. She had three years. 16 years old, had three years of sobriety, 
and she's explaining spirituality to the 14-year-old as well as I ever heard it explained. She just looked her right in the eye and she said, this shit works. <laughs> Basically saying, paraphrasing what Clancy says, is that we end up taking a series of actions that we don't believe in. Of course we don't believe in them, because you can't believe in them until after you do it. That's what faith is all about. So we take these actions even though they don't make sense to us ahead of time, any more than drinking made sense ahead of time. Did drinking look like it could show you how to dance? Did it really look like that? You tell me if I drink that, I don't know how to do that. Are you kidding? How could you just drink, just drink that? Shut up. And there you were, Fred Astaire. You're out there. You intuitively knew how to handle situations that used to baffle you. So one answer for all problems is not. So that's what that second half of that step is, one answer for all problems. But I did leave out the, carry the message to alcoholics. And that doesn't really need a lot of explaining because I think that comes intuitively. That as soon as this good news hits us inside and you experience it personally, you really do want to share it. I've never met anybody who didn't want to go give this good news to the next alcoholic. It just seems to come. And there's a wonderful message to be learned about yourself when you experience this. When you find yourself running over, and you've only got two months, and here's some guy with one week, and you can see that he's right where you were six weeks ago, and he's thinking of leaving. And you have the most power to stop him of anybody at that meeting. Somebody with 30 years goes over and talks to him, and he's going to say, who the hell is this weird guy? But if somebody comes over with one month more than him, hey, pal, I just got here a month and a half ago myself, but let me tell you what's going to happen, and you can tell him what he's going to feel like the next three weeks and everything. He's going to cling to you like glue. And this is tremendous power that you have. You have the power over someone else's life. You can exert a tremendous amount of good in someone else's life. The strange thing about spirituality is all of the very negative, the worst parts of you that you couldn't stand turns out to be your special gift to save the next person. Because that's what they connect with. They connect with your awful past and the recovery that you've made and that's why you can talk to them when psychiatrists can't. So it turns out our alcoholism, all the ugly, filthy, rotten past that we have is the wonderful spiritual gift that we pass on to the next person, and that's why they cling to us, because they know we came out of the same cesspool that they're trying to get out of. And so isn't it ironic that that very awful part turns out to be the most wonderful thing that we can pass on, and we just go... Come with me. I've been exactly in that hole that you're in. I can show you how to get out. And there's a wonderful joy in wanting to do this. Now, when that happens to you, think about it. What is that in you that is reaching out to these people? I thought you were a self-centered, selfish, no good, who cares about the rest of the world person. Maybe you're not that at all. Maybe all that is just not the real you. Maybe for the first time in your lives, you are seeing what the real you is. It's a loving person. It's not a hating person. That's the wrong you. 
That's why you're in so much conflict. That's not who you are at all. You are, just like everyone else in this whole world, a child of a higher power who wants to give love and has been blocked by old ideas and by whatever got us here and alcohol and all those things. But the real you is going to be exposed by these 12 steps and cause this spiritual awakening and cause all these wonderful things that happen in this journey inward. And that's what this sobriety is, is a journey inward. And in closing, I, I just when I always like to read something at the end that I pasted in here. First of all, it's the last few sentences out of our uh, big book. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit. You will surely see some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. And then some years ago, I um, found this song by John Lennon, and I pasted it into the 12 and 12, and the song was called Watching the Wheels. People asking questions lost in confusion, while I tell them there's no problem, only solutions. I'm just sitting here watching the wheels go round and round. I really love to watch them roll. No longer riding on the merry-go-round, I just had to let it go. And if there's anything we find here is, if you will let go of those problems and stay in the solution, the problems will go away. They will be lifted out. And if you're new, we hope it happens real soon. We've got a great way to wrap this up with the Lord's Prayer for anybody who is here to join in. For heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Keep coming back. It works if you work it. Back. It works if you work it. Greetings. We're presenting Sandy Beach workshop from Florida. Here he is. He's on step 12. Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Saturday morning live group of Alcoholics Anonymous. My name is Sandy Beach, and I'm an alcoholic. How you all doing this morning? It's really good to see everybody here this morning. And as we do every week, why we want to start out by welcoming anybody who has uh, hasn't been here before to the Saturday morning live group. We just hope you get something out of it, hope you enjoy it, and we ask you to keep coming back. And if you're new to AA, if you're just arriving in our fellowship, uh, why well, I just want to tell you that everybody in this room wants you to make it. They've all been through exactly what you're going through right now. We all sat out there at these meetings in the very beginning wondering how we got here and how you get out of here and... Uh, why do I feel so nervous and afraid and I don't think I'm going to fit into this outfit and all of those things. And besides, they keep talking about not drinking and I don't think that's a good plan. And so all of those 
internal conflict and everything, if you will just stick around, believe us, all of that is going to calm down, and uh, there's a lot of wonderful things in store for you. You just can't see them yet. So take our word for it and disregard your better judgment and stay here. That's all. That's what we'd like to tell you. And then later on, you can make the judgment as to uh, whether or not all this is happening or not. It's customary to start our meetings with uh, the preamble. Alcoholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength, and hope with each other that they may solve their common problems and help others to recover from alcoholism. The only requirement for membership is the desire to stop drinking. There are no dues or fees for AA membership. We're self-supporting for our own contributions. AA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution. Does not wish to engage in any controversy. Neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sober and help other alcoholics to achieve sobriety. And you'll hear that read at just about every meeting, and it serves as a wonderful reminder to all of us exactly what AA is and what we're all doing here this morning and at about 250 other AA meetings today and every day in the Washington, D.C. area. So there's a lot of meetings, no matter where you live, where you work, in the morning, noon, nighttime, men's meetings, women's meetings, you name it. And uh, so there's just plenty available. Um, we got a couple of announcements to get out of the way before we... Okay, if you haven't been here before, let me say that uh, we run the meeting a little bit different than most of our meetings. It's done in a classroom setting, and we talk about the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, if you're new, you'll find that most of our other meetings are speaker meetings or discussion meetings, but this was started, this type of meeting was started 25 years ago or somewhere in there. And it was the thought that it would be good to have a place where you could go and know ahead of time that somebody who'd been in AA a long time was going to share on step. And therefore, you could just sit back and relax, and you wouldn't have to worry about what you were going to say in order to look smart when it was your turn during the discussion meeting or whatever. And so this meeting started, I guess we're coming up on 18 years, somewhere in there. Um, and we've been doing that ever since. I think the other meetings all go through the steps three at a time, but we shifted over to one at a time. So the format here, we're on step 12 today, and that'll complete the cycle of the steps. Then we'll have one week on the traditions of AA. Then we're going to try this question and answer thing. We'll see whether that works or not. Then we have two weeks on the history of AA. We talk about how this amazing organization got started and all the funny stories uh, back in the uh, 30s and 40s. And then we start all over again. And so it takes 15 weeks to run through this whole thing. Um, being on step 12 today, which is sort of the wrap-up of our whole program, gives me a chance to kind of review the whole package here this morning, so it's a big mouthful to get through talking about our 12th step. But in order to even make a beginning at that, let me just start, because there's always new people in attendance, and tell you a few things about our steps, and then start talking about step 12. Uh, I'm sure if you've been in AA even a week, you have seen the steps written down somewhere. Somebody gave you one of those little cards with a serenity prayer and gave you some literature. And everywhere you go, you hear people talking about the steps. And may, perhaps you've even picked it up and glanced at it and looked at it. And like the rest of us, you probably didn't relate to it at all. You know, you just read it and went, well, that's very interesting. But 
I've got a lot more pressing problems than this, and I'll get around to that later on. It's very hard to see the relationship between those steps and your own personal situation today, and that's not unusual. That's very that's what happens to all of us. But those steps are Alcoholics Anonymous. That's what this whole program is, are those 12 steps. That is what individual members of Alcoholics Anonymous do in order to stay sober and happy. And you have to have both of those things happen. I'm telling you that right now. If you're new, it is absolutely essential that you get sober and get happy with not drinking. Because if you don't, it's going to be just like being on the wagon. It's very hard to stay sober and miserable for any extended period of time. That's what we did before we got to AA. We tried to just not drink and make a big sacrifice. And we walked around, and people would see us, and we'd go, I'm not drinking. And you could see the neck muscles, and, your, and you kept track at all times. You could say, I am not drinking six hours. I mean, it was just like a bomb getting ready to go off. And you did it was Saturday night, and you watching everybody else's drinking, and I'm not, and it was full of self-pity and all that. That just cannot go on for any extended period of time. And so the steps are designed to enable us, through the power of these steps of this program, to not drink and to get very happy and comfortable with not drinking. And that is why they're so important to do. Now, in the very beginning, we just hold on and not drink, and it's tough. But as we start working this program and going to meetings and talking with our sponsors, we will be given this wonderful gift of sobriety. And at first, you may not recognize it as a miracle. You may not even see what has happened because it happens so subtly. But very often, what's going to happen is you've been coming around to these stupid meetings for a couple of months, and you, you know, you're... You're not even telling anybody you secretly like it a little bit, because that would be uncool. But something is going on, and you sort of have met some people, and they're nice to you, and they seem to understand you, and the more people talk, the more they seem to have had the same problems that you've had. And then something very unusual happens, and maybe you've been coming around two or three months, and all of a sudden it occurs to you that you forgot to worry about drinking last week. You forgot to worry about drinking. It's almost like you had a mental breakdown or something like that. Because you have been obsessing about alcohol for years. And all of a sudden, you forgot to obsess about alcohol last week. And you almost feel like writing down, don't forget to obsess about alcohol. I mean, it's such a part of our nature, it's hard to believe that it could be lifted out. But that is exactly what a spiritual solution looks like. Something that has been bothering you for a long time stops bothering you, and you don't understand why. It is very different than the intellectual solutions we've been used to before we came here. We're used to problem-solving instead of problem-removing. We like to figure things out. We assumed we would come here and learn all about alcoholism. And we would study and learn what it does to our liver and what it does to this and what it does to that. And instead, we come in here and we surrender to alcoholism. We just surrender to it. We don't have to learn anything about it except that it's going to kill you if you keep drinking. 
doesn't matter why we started or what causes alcoholism. It's irrelevant in the spiritual world because we're simply going to work towards its removal. The one thing we know about your alcoholism is it bothers you or you wouldn't be here. It is causing you a problem and, and that is your alcoholism. Whatever it is doing to your life is probably very similar to what it did to everybody else's life but it's causing a lot of problems and this program will show you a path to follow that will cause those problems to stop happening without figuring them out. Now, a lot of times our intellect doesn't want to accept this kind of an answer. I don't like stuff just being removed. I want to figure it out. Clancy from the West Coast talks about a tip of, you know, an alcohol, something an alcoholic who was on the Titanic is standing up there as it's going under and the lifeboat is sitting right here and he goes, I'm not getting off this baby till I figure out what happened. You know what I mean? I want to know what caused this crash. Then I'll get off. Then I can let go of it. We have a slogan, let go and let God. It works 100% of the time. We just don't want to let go. You mean simply let them off the hook? When we're talking about resentments to other people? Just let them go? Wait a minute. I'm going to, I got a judgment here. I got to think this through. I don't want to just be free of all my problems. I want to hold on to them till I figure them out. You see, you see what I'm saying? Our intellect isn't used to this type of an approach where you can be set free from your problems without figuring them out. We like to analyze everything. We like to figure everything out. We, you will never figure your alcoholism out. They've been trying to figure alcoholism out since I got sober, and I don't think they're any closer today than they were 30 years ago. Uh, I think trying to figure alcoholism out has been about similar to figuring sadness out. When they come up with a cure for sadness uh, other than a higher power, then I'll know we're on the track. Other than drugs, we all knew how to cure sadness back when we were drinking. Um, so anyway, we all have this in common, and we come in here, and we, we are given this plan for living called the 12 steps. And the main thing we talk week after week, the main thing this plan does, it stops your plan. We have a thing in our chapter 5 where it says, old ideas availed us nothing. You and I put together a plan for living before we got here. And it was a combination of our childhood and things we learned in school and things we learned from other kids and things we learned off of bathroom walls and things we learned in movies and things we learned in churches and all kinds of stuff got put together in our head and that was our perception of the world and we put together some rules for living and that was your little code of how to live. And um, most of us were proud of our code because we put it together. But what's pointed out when we come into AA, we don't analyze your code at all. Matter of fact, we don't even want to hear about it. What we do observe are the results of your plan for living. And generally, they aren't too good. You puke every day, you have no friends, you're afraid of your own shadow, your family doesn't want to speak to you, the police are looking for you, bill collectors are looking for you all over the place. You're thinking of suicide, but you want to hold on to the plan. You, know, you see what I'm talking about? It's just, 
Actually, it's basically a pretty good plan. It's just got a few little areas that need and And from our perspective, you, we feel you should get as far away from that plan as you can. That, that's our feeling. And so when we start this, the idea of trying to live by the 12 steps, one of the great things that happens is we stop doing the old plan. Just stop living that way and try this. And so that's one of the big pluses. The other thing is, this plan gets wonderful results. So you don't compare the theory of your plan for living with AA's theory. We compare the results of your plan, namely you, with the people in AA who stand up and tell you, I've got three months, I've got six months, I've got five years, blah, 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 and lined up. Tell their stories. It's a big show and tell operation. You get to look at the results of the plan of AA at meetings all the time. So it's not that big a leap of faith at all. And then we make the statement in Chapter 5, if you want what we have, this is how you get there, is through these 12 steps. So that's what the steps are. They're really the heart of the whole program for individual members of Alcoholics Anonymous. Now, the meetings and the sponsors and all the rest of these things, this is the atmosphere within which we encourage and push each other to keep doing the steps. Because no matter how long you've been sober, the steps will never look like they work. They don't look like they work. Meetings don't look like they work. Church doesn't look like it works. You can't, it doesn't look like I'm going to walk in there and then when I walk out, I'll feel better. You know what I mean? But on the other hand, a bar didn't look like it should work. Did it? Here's this crummy place. The people who don't drink, do they wonder why people go into bars? Why would you go in there? Why would you go in there? Wonderful things happen when you go in there. That's why you go in there. I go in there to get a power inside of me that makes the world look wonderful. Why wouldn't you want to go in there and make the world look wonderful? Well, the same thing happens here. It just doesn't look like it should work. Neither did he step. Now, the only other difference is this takes longer to work. It's not an instant change like alcohol and drugs work where you went in and go, bam! So you have to be patient but it will work. It is promised in our promises that all of these things will come to pass and it won't take that long. It just takes a complete willingness to let go of our old way of living and try this new way. So now having said all that, we get to the doorway into this whole thing. And we, you've heard it said that the spiritual program, so that scares most of us right back out the door because we're not very familiar with anything spiritual. We may have had some religious bad experiences as children or something and we've long since abandoned that or we stuck with it and are convinced that it doesn't work because we've been drunk all this time so we have old ideas about religions but we have very little knowledge most of us about spirituality as separated from religion and this is a spiritual program it's, it's, there is no religion here religions are, can teach you about a higher power and tell you what this higher power is, what his name is, and the history of it, and all of these things. Hey, hey, we don't have any of that. We just have a higher power as you understand him. So it's going to be up to you to determine what this higher power is. But what we have are some time-tested principles that are common to many religions, philosophies, and the early experience of AA itself, and these principles, if followed, will put you in touch with a power greater than yourself, 
and then you can explain to yourself what this power is. But you will feel it. You will experience some changes in your life that are not attributable to anything other than spirituality. And if you choose, you can try to explain it and go back to a church and and you'll have your explanation. For many of us, it remains the power of the universe that gave us AA and we're not as curious about what this power is. We know this power by the results that we've achieved in our lives. And so if you ask me, what's your definition of my own personal higher power? I would tell you, well, it gave me this and it gave me that and it gave me that. So my higher power is whatever gave me all this. So you can see we don't have to get hung up on, is this higher power right and that one's wrong or all of that. We just say, the reason, and we talk a lot about this, AA does not try to prove the existence of God. You don't see us trying to do that. We don't try to convince anyone of the existence of a higher power. I'll tell you what we do do, and we're very good at this. We specialize in convincing you of the need for a higher power. That's our position. And we have found that as soon as people are open to the idea of a higher power, because they need it, because if there isn't a higher power, it's all over. We talk often about our first and second step, being powerless over alcohol, being very similar to a person who, for whatever reason, maybe they were born into a family of parachute riggers, and they watched them putting the silk in there, and they saw that sometimes they were drunk, and sometimes they were smoking, and sometimes they were screwing around, and they just came to believe that it wasn't safe to use a parachute because they saw them packed. So they were sort of non-parachute believers. And they went through life and people say, want to go parachute? No, nope. no damn, damn way. I'm never going to do that. I've seen them packed. I'm never going to ever, ever have my life rest in the balance of a parachute until someone threw them out of a plane one day with a shoe on and you're on your way down and you're about to hit and someone suggests, why don't you just pull the ripcord anyway? Even though you don't believe anything's going to happen, what have you got to lose by pulling that, other than being wrong? <laughs> Some of us would go ahead and hit. Because they wouldn't want to look bad. Ha, 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 ha. Bam. You didn't see me kicking out and change my mind, did you? And we think they're going to write a rock and roll song about us. What a guy, hung in there all the way to the end. What a hero. What a run. And of course, they do write a song. It's called, What an Asshole. You know, so. <laughs> so this is how our spirituality begins in AA. We come up against a situation in our personal lives through our drinking where we suddenly realize we're going to get hurt real bad if this doesn't stop. We're about to hit a bottom. And that's what our first step says. You're powerless over alcohol. Your life is unmanageable. And when you say you're powerless, whether you understand it or not, what you have said is, unless there's a higher power, I'm screwed. That's what powerless says. It doesn't say, I have to go study and learn a bunch of things, or it's all over. Because that's not what it says. It doesn't say you're ignorant about alcohol. It says you are powerless over alcohol. 
And so unless something comes along to take care of that, you're going to keep drinking and you're going to die drunk. That's what being powerless is. So it's a good time to change your mind about a higher power under those conditions. And so that's why we specialize in convincing people of the need for a higher power. And we talk on and on about that first step because if you don't take it 100%, none of the program will work. It just won't work because it's not an intellectual program. It's a spiritual program. And if you don't totally surrender, if you aren't 100% alcoholic, if you think that unlike all the rest of the lowbrows in this room, you have sort of an alcohol situation. You see what I'm saying? The rest of them I can see. They're, they're all screwed up. But what I have is sort of situational maladjustment to alcohol due to unusual childhood circumstances and coming from New England. So that could be whatever the hell it is. So you, you sit in the middle of meetings sort of separate from the rest of the crowd, but you don't tell them that because you don't want to upset them. So you sit in there, but in your mind, you're just a little bit different. You're almost the same as everybody here. You're almost an alcoholic. You almost need a higher power. You almost need a sponsor. You almost need to do these steps. And you almost get sober. You just missed it by that much. And, of course, almost getting sober is like almost having a parachute. Yeah, you know, I almost took one of those damn things. It's, it's the same as never having heard about AA. Almost. And so that's why we say we have to do that first step 100%. Totally surrender to the fact that we're, alcohol, that we're powerless over alcohol. And that means we're powerless when we don't have any alcohol in our system. And a lot of times we have to explain that to new people. The problem is not that when you drink, you get all screwed up. The problem is when you're sober and you understand everything there is about yourself and your problem, you still take the first drink. And there's nothing that can stop you from taking that first drink. That's what being powerless over alcohol is. Alcoholism occurs when there's no alcohol in your system. Alcoholism occurs when there's no alcohol in your system. There's a drop. Hasn't been any alcohol in your system for a week. Now alcoholism attacks, and it says to you, go have a drink, because life is so unbearable, you need relief from life, and besides, this time it's going to be different. This time, you're not going to get in all that trouble. This time, then you go in and get all screwed up again. And so that's what being powerless is, and believe me, there's no way to get out of that on your own. So we surrender to that change our mind about a higher power, and then our whole AA journey takes us to step 12. The whole point of joining Alcoholics Anonymous and moving all the way through the steps is contained in two words in the beginning of our 12th step. And the beginning of our 12th step says, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we try to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice these principles in all our affairs. And the key word is spiritual awakening. Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps. <clears throat> so the steps, starting right from the beginning, are designed to do one thing, to cause a spiritual awakening. So what do we mean by that? Is that some great bush catches on fire in front of your eyes and you go, wow, look at that. No. 
That is not what is meant by that. What is meant by a spiritual awakening is a profound personality change where a person goes from being a frightened, angry, resentful, negative person whose view of the world is one of great turmoil and trouble into a very positive person whose view of the world is very positive, bright, happy, and joyful. And nothing in their lives changed. They still don't have a job, or they still are going through a divorce, or they still haven't solved their financial problems, and they're still going to the doctor for some health problems. But for some unexplained reason, they're happy about it. They're positive about it. So the person changed from this one personality to this other personality, and there's no external reason for this change. So it must have taken place inside. A tremendous dislocation, as uh, Bill wrote about. Carl Jung was trying to pause that in um, Roland takes place as a result of these meetings and these steps, and we call it, for lack of a better word, a spiritual awakening. And it comes about as a result of taking these steps. So, Bill writes in our 12 and 12 that the rest of the steps are how we prepare ourselves to receive this gift, because it's absolutely a gift. It's just given freely to anyone who makes themselves ready to receive it. I think it's been there waiting to be handed to each one of us. We just were not in a position to receive it. It reminds me a little bit of the mail service. You know, if you live out in the country or wherever it is, and you want to have mail delivered to you, you've got to put a mailbox up. And they got certain standards and sizes and put on a post and put on the road where the guy drives by and you have all this. And, Maybe an alcoholic might just say, forget that, just throw it on the lawn. I don't need to go through all the trouble of building that. Just throw the crap off, I'll pick it up out there. But that's not how the deal works. If you don't have this mechanism for receiving it, then they won't deliver it to you. And we may claim, I never get any mail. No one ever writes to me. You see what I'm saying? Everyone else gets mail, but I don't. And so when we close ourselves off spiritually to all the wonderful things that spirituality can bring, none of them can get in, causing us to honestly feel they don't exist. No higher power. I've never seen any higher power. I don't see this spirituality. I don't feel any joy come roaring through my life. I don't think that stuff is real. And from your perspective, my perspective before I got here, it wasn't real. I never had a glimpse of any of this. So it caused me to think that people were making stories up or that they were different than I was or something was crazy was going on. But I, I have a thing called free will which allows me to block out anything, even a higher power. I can block out, but I can't block out the need for a higher power. Even as I block out a higher power, the pain of not having a higher power inside of me magnifies. And I think a lot of times, that's why a lot, a lot of us alcoholics think about committing suicide. 
that something inside of us is telling us that life is unsatisfactory, that something is missing in our lives and, it's, and we can't go on without it. And we misdiagnose what's missing and we think it's sex or we think it's another relationship or we think it's money or we think i got to move to Hawaii. If I was there, man, this pain would be gone. And it turns out that we misdiagnosed the pain, and the pain was spiritual pain. What was missing was a higher power. What was missing was this whole part of ourselves, the spiritual side of ourselves, was being left empty, and it felt like it was money, and it felt like it was sexuality, or it felt like it was power, or whatever it may be, but those were all wrong because many people who have achieved these other things lots of money they still talk about it's, it's still not there and even in those circumstances with everything you can want people walk around miserable because they haven't addressed what's really missing so that's what the steps are designed to do is make us eligible or open if you will to receiving this and as we study our steps, we find out that all the rest of the steps talk about removing obstacles to the flow of a higher power. That's what inventories and sharing character defects are. They are blockages to, this, to the entry of a higher power in our lives. And so we got to set about figuring out how to get them out of the way and how to keep this channel open so that we are never deprived of a higher power coming into our lives. It's almost like, and, and when we, when resentments, when things come along that upset us, and we cut the channel off, we start blaming it on other things. We don't know this happened, that happened. And really, all that happened was we got cut off from our higher power. Almost like getting cut off in a bar. That's the worst thing that can happen in a bar, right? Oh, yeah, you can come in here anytime you want. No drinks. Why would I come here? I mean, man, you're, you're cutting me off from, you know, it's kind of like going in and visiting somebody in the hospital and standing on their oxygen hose. Hey, how you doing, John? Oh, I'm doing pretty good. Doing so well. It's good to see you. You know, after a while, you know, just, what's happening? I don't know. I don't know. Call the doctor. Tell him my blood pressure's going on. They got all these symptoms and they're, they're trying to diagnose the whole thing. And finally, oh, sorry, stepping on the hose here. But all these other problems look like that we may need several new specialists and all kinds of things. There's a complete misdiagnosis of it. Just step it under hose. And the same thing here. We just go around diagnosing all the problems that we have. I got this, I got that. And then say, that's not it at all. Step it under hose down here. Get your foot off of there. And that's why we come back to meetings. And when you study step 12, and Bill talks about all the different problems that can come into our lives, there's one answer. It just keeps coming back to this one answer. Oh, that just grow more spiritually. Grow more spiritually. That's what first things first means in our slogans. Is to learn how to put spiritual part of our lives ahead of everything else. What it's suggesting is if you will change the way you live to make a top priority of always checking your spiritual condition first, and then take another look at all other areas of your life, you'll find those other areas straighten out by themselves. That they weren't the ones that needed attention. That this was the one that needed attention. But it doesn't look like that. It'll never look like that. And that's why we keep coming back to the meeting to remind each other of this. 
I always tell a story about when I first got sober. And uh, I guess I had two years of sobriety, went to a meeting every single night, and the Marine Corps saw fit to release me. I was making a career. I had 14 years of commissioned service, and they just said, goodbye. Well, I thought I got screwed. I mean, I really thought that if you went to a meeting every night for two years, this shouldn't happen, that I should have turned my life around and run, 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 run. So I went to one of these discussion meetings, and you know how the leader has a topic, but he always says, is there anybody here who has something? I got my hand. I never raised my hand in one of those places, but I was so damn upset with this injustice that I decided that I was going to bring it out here in the AA meeting, so I raised my hand. Yeah, I got a topic. Getting thrown out of the Marine Corps, that's my topic. So the group sort of coughed a little bit and thought, and finally some guy raised his hand. Getting thrown out of the Marine Corps? Serenity prayer. That's the obvious answer to that, serenity prayer. I remember giving him that look, you know. What about a goddamn job? You know, I need a job. You know, I don't want to hear this, whatever that kind of advice you're giving is, I need something practical here. You know, serenity prayer. Whoa, whoa. So anyway, next person has their hand up. Thrown out of Marine Corps. I would double up on your meetings. You got a lot of time anyway. Double up on your meetings. Double up on the meetings. You know. Next person said, oh, thrown out of the Marine Corps. Work with new people. Get your mind off yourself. Work in a new person and, and just help them with their program. Mm, thanks a lot. You know. then last guy. Oh, thrown out of the Marine Corps. Prayer St. Francis. Right out of the 11th step. Prayer St. Francis. Perfect thing for getting thrown out of the Marine Corps. I sat there and took all this in and said, I'm getting a new home group. That's what I said. You know, I said, the, the predominant thought in my mind was, I don't think I explained the problem right. Uh, I got to go home and take a course in communication because I obviously failed to communicate my problem or they never would have given me that kind of what is that that they just told me? I mean, it was just crazy. They told me that. Well, so another eight years went by. I never raised my hand at a discussion meeting during that eight years. I got straightened out, got the job, got moving along. All of a sudden, again, terrible things are happening. I'm suddenly being divorced. Another guy's moving in. I'm out. I go, what is this all about? Going to meetings every day for eight, nine years, grump up off of life. Somebody had a discussion meeting. I got a topic. Getting thrown out of your own house. Wow, wow. How's that for a topic? First guy. Thrown out of your house. Serenity prayer. That's what you need. Getting thrown out of your house. It's serenity prayer. Next guy says, Thrown out of your house. You got nowhere to go. Double up on your meetings. Double up on your meetings. Thrown out of your house, work with somebody new. Get your mind off of that. Work with somebody new. Last guy, prayer St. Francis. Anytime you get thrown out of a house, prayer St. Francis. Perfect thing to do. Six years went by. Never raised my hand again in one of those meetings. Then I was in the real estate business, and the money more, and the mortgage money's drying up. I can't even get any money, and I'm going to be going into bankruptcy. There was a lot of years of sobriety, and I'm just going, this ain't supposed to happen. So I went in there, and I said, I need some money, so I'll just start Drop a hint at the meeting. Going into bankruptcy, you know. Not supposed to happen to nice people. <laughs> you know what happened. First up, bankruptcy, hey, 
Serenity prayer. You gotta say a serenity prayer. It's bankruptcy. Bankruptcy, double up on a meeting. Just don't put anything in the collection. <laughs> Work with new people. They can drag you to meetings. All right. Then. And the last thing, prayer of St. Francis. So what do we got here? We got just one answer. One answer for all problems. One answer for all problems. Doesn't seem possible. Does that seem possible? Is anybody in here sort of going, one answer for all problems? I find that difficult to believe. You do? I thought you were an alcoholic. What would you do before you got here? Did you have one answer for all problems or not? <laughs> I did. I never remember having a problem where I said, boy, here's one problem I won't be drinking over. <laughs> One answer for all problems. So we already know about that. Why are we sitting here resisting this? One answer for all problems. So that's what this, what, what all of this journey was, was to cause us to understand that if we went to this, we could have this thing called a spiritual awakening. Spiritual awakening, the personality change, puts us in touch with the fact that this is amazing. I heard spirituality explained at Midtown one night, many years ago, when the younger people started coming in more and more numbers, and all of a sudden there was something like a 16-year-old girl is sponsoring a 14-year-old girl, and she was explaining spirituality. She had three years, 16 years old, had three years of sobriety, and she's explaining spirituality to the 14-year-old as well as I ever heard it explained. She just looked her right in the eye and she said, this shit works. <laughs> Basically saying, paraphrasing what Clancy says, is that we end up taking a series of actions that we don't believe in. Of course we don't believe in them, because you can't believe in them until after you do it. That's what faith is all about. So we take these actions even though they don't make sense to us ahead of time, any more than drinking made sense ahead of time. Did drinking look like it could show you how to dance? Did it really look like that? You tell me if I drink that, I don't know how to do that. Are you kidding? How can you just drink, just drink that? Shut up. And there you were, Fred Astaire. You're out there. You intuitively knew how to handle situations that used to baffle you. So one answer for all problems is not. And so that's what that second half of that step is, one answer for all problems. But I did leave out the carry the message to alcoholics. And that doesn't really need a lot of explaining because I think that comes intuitively. That as soon as this good news hits us inside and you experience it personally, you really do want to share it. I've never met anybody who didn't want to go give this good news to the next alcoholic. It just seems to come. And there's a wonderful message to be learned about yourself when you experience this. When you find yourself running over, and you've only got two months, and here's some guy with one week, and you can see that he's right where you were six weeks ago, and he's thinking of leaving, and you have the most power to stop him of anybody at that meeting. Somebody with 30 years goes over and talks to him, and he's going to say, who the hell is this weird guy? But if somebody comes over with one month more than him, hey, pal, I just got here a month and a half ago myself, but let me tell you what's going to happen, and you can tell him what he's going to feel like the next three weeks, and everything he's going to cling to you like, 
glue. And this is tremendous power that you have. You have the power over someone else's life. You can exert a tremendous amount of good in someone else's life. The strange thing about spirituality is all of the very negative, the worst parts of you that you couldn't stand turns out to be your special gift to save the next person because that's what they connect with. They connect with your awful past and the recovery that you've made and that's why you can talk to them when psychiatrists can't. So it turns out our alcoholism, all the ugly, filthy, rotten past that we have is the wonderful spiritual gift that we pass on to the next person and that's why they cling to us. Because they know we came out of the same cesspool that they're trying to get out of. And so isn't it ironic that that very awful part turns out to be the most wonderful thing that we can pass on and we just go, Come with me. I've been exactly in that hole that you're in. I can show you how to get out. And there's a wonderful joy in wanting to do this. Now, when that happens to you, think about it. What is that in you that is reaching out to these people? I thought you were a self-centered, selfish, no good, who cares about the rest of the world person. Maybe you're not that at all. Maybe all that is just not the real you. Maybe for the first time in your life, you are seeing what the real you is. It's a loving person. It's not a hating person. That's the wrong you. That's why you're in so much conflict. That's not who you are at all. You are, just like everyone else in this whole world, a child of a higher power who wants to give love and has been blocked by old ideas and by whatever got us here and alcohol and all those things. But the real you is going to be exposed by these 12 steps and cause this spiritual awakening and cause all these wonderful things that happen in this journey inward. And that's what this sobriety is, is a journey inward. And in closing, I, I just want to, I always like to read something at the end that I pasted in here. First of all, it's the last few sentences out of our uh, big book. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to Him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit. You will surely see some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. And then some years ago, I um, found this song by John Lennon and I pasted it into the 12 and 12, and the song was called Watching the Wheels. People asking questions lost in confusion while I tell them there's no problem, only solutions. I'm just sitting here watching the wheels go round and round. I really love to watch them roll. No longer riding on the merry-go-round. I just had to let it go. And if there's anything we find here is, if you will let go of those problems and stay in the solution, the problems will go away. They will be lifted out. And if you're new, we hope it happens real soon. We've got a great way to wrap this up with a large prayer for anybody who would care to join in. Who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. 
and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For that is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Keep coming back. It works if you work it. Back. It works if you work it.